All right. Hi, Caleb. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm doing quite well. How are you doing? Doing well. It's a nice uh, weekend here in Palo Alto, and there was a little festival, street festival, so that was sort of fun. It was great, and we finally got a little bit of summer heat. It's, it's mm-hmm. been very nice. What are, you, uh, what are you drinking tonight? I am having a refreshing uh, gin gimlet. Oh, very nice. Yeah, very what nice. about you? I'm drinking a Frisco. Oh. Yes, an, an offensively named cocktail. Um, it's just rye and Benedictine. It's uh, quite lovely. It doesn't have Fernet. No, no, strangely, uh, it does not. I think it comes from New York, so, you know, they don't really know what, what goes down in the, in the Frisco. <laughs> Clearly not made by a true San Franciscan. They would never call it Frisco. Indeed. So tonight, I thought we could talk about the uh, news of the week and uh, put it in context. Uh, so the big thing that happened was Tesla announced a new upgrade for the Model S and X, taking it all the way up to a 100 kilowatt hour battery pack and also increasing the performance of it um quite substantially and uh yeah so i thought we could talk about that and and the weird they, they named it the plude is that is that what i'm reading correctly no it's a <laughs> that's a good lead speak it's the p100dl oh i see that makes more sense yeah definitely a lot more so uh on uh, August 23rd at 8.32 a.m., Elon Musk uh, sent out a tweet, and it was Tesla product announcement at noon California time today. So there was no previous uh, inclination that there was going to be a press conference or p- product announcement. It just woke up, and there was this tweet, and everyone went to Twitter and excited, and <laughs> the stock price went up a few percent uh, just on that tweet. And uh, at noon, uh, they had a a 30-minute press conference uh, call with reporters and then the embargo, which was sort of the um, press speak for locking up the news until 1230. Uh, So the news dropped to 1230 Pacific. And what we got was the Model S P100D with ludicrous mode and the uh, statement that it is now the quickest production vehicle available for sale. Uh, at zero to 60 at 2.5 seconds. Um, and what is the current, uh, ludicrous mode, um, zero to 60 speed, uh, it is 2.8. Oh, okay. So three tenths of a second quicker and, uh, it bested only by two vehicles that are no longer, uh, for sale. The, the Ferrari, La Ferrari (laughs) and the Porsche 918 Spider. Uh, which were both million dollar vehicles and sold less than a thousand each. Uh, so um, pretty crazy. And uh, so it's got both quick acceleration at the three, uh, 2.5 seconds, zero to 60. And then it also now is the first electric car to break through the 300 mile uh, range barrier on the EPA test. So 315 mile EPA range. And that's on the performance model. Um, and so in a few months, the uh, non-performance model will come out, which should probably get another 15 or so miles uh, of range. So pretty, pretty great. Um, but w- what's interesting is like, why did they make a biggish deal about this? So I think that's what we sort of wanted to talk about was like, why, why isn't this just a silent upgrade? Um, why this is sort of a big deal for Tesla and, and what it... Um, portends for the future of uh, their performance vehicles and, and also the Model 3. And we got some of that information both in the, uh, in the call and then also just through our sort of analysis of what, uh, what Tesla's been doing in terms of performance and range and where that might end up. 
Cool. So what is it that makes this exciting and, and kind of a not a just a, a slight upgrade sort of announcement? Yeah, so I think that the big thing is that Tesla really likes uh, superlatives. Um, they like to be able to say we are the safest car. Uh, I think they like to be able to say that we're 100% electric. That was obviously one of the very early superlatives, uh, no gasoline. And now they have the superlative of the quickest car you can buy uh, new. And so I think uh, that certainly appeals to them because, uh, you know, if, if you think back when Tesla first came out, uh, they were fighting a, a general uh, consensus view that electric cars were slow, uninteresting vehicles, and the, the only electric vehicle most people had experienced would be a golf cart. <laughs> and so uh, Tesla is in the past uh, decade or so been trying to reverse people's conception of what an electric car is like. And now being able to say you cannot buy a, a quicker accelerating car uh, than a Tesla, which happens to be all electric, is pretty powerful uh, from the marketing point of view and also from the media point of view of what's the quickest car around. It's a Tesla. And that's that's tough to beat. So I think that's one really big one. And then I also think the range of being uh, past the 300 mile uh, barrier is a psychological barrier for a lot of people. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine many people driving 300 miles in a stint without stopping. Is that sort of the range of a, of a standard gasoline powered vehicle, like with a full tank of gas? It used to be. Um, so most cars are sort of around 10, 10 gallon tanks, 11, 12 gallons. And when cars used to be 25 or 30 miles per gallon, uh, 300 miles was sort of the max range that car makers were sort of targeting. Uh, now that many cars are in the 40 miles per gallon range, they, they can go 400 miles, but uh, that's still sort of limited to subcompacts or the hybrids. So for most, most average cars, it's still around 300, 350 mile range. So I think that gets you to the place where you're not changing your behavior uh, from a stopping point of view of like when you would need to stop for gas normally you would stop for charging versus today if you only have 150 or 200 miles range uh, you're definitely going to be stopping more frequently than you would uh, and so not having to require any behavior change i think is a really big part of that um, psychological barrier for sure cool so I think one of the one of the other points there about sort of the Model S, uh, this also is coming to the Model X, but the Model S has a longer history, so it's more interesting for uh, building sort of projections about what's going to happen. Is where is this in the context of uh, the acceleration of previous Model Ss? Um, so I went back and did some research about sort of the and plotting them uh, on their previous history curve. So the original eighty five uh, Model S came out at 5.4 seconds, zero to 60, uh, which was quick, um, but certainly not uh, anything um, super special. Uh, 5.4 seconds is uh, a good performing BMW or Audi, but nothing, uh, nothing fancy. It doesn't get you in the Ferrari, Lamborghini uh, kind of Porsche realm. Uh, so then they came out with the performance model uh, P85, and that dropped it uh, quite a bit, uh, 1.2 seconds. So it dropped it down to 4.2 seconds. That's when people started to notice that the Teslas were actually uh, quite quite quick, and especially in the sedan 
area. Um, obviously, the Roadster was pretty quick. Although and, the Roadster was actually a little, so I'm I'm just looking right now that the the 2008 Roadster was zero to sixty in four point six, and then there was an upgrade in 2011 that brought it down to three point seven. So it's still barely keeping up with the uh, four door family sedan. Exactly, and I think that was the, that's sort of the juxtaposition that. Um, is is more interesting and fun to talk about like i can have seven people in here if you've got the two kids in the back and the jump seats and um going you know zero to 60 in 4.2 seconds the visuals of it are, are quite stark yes for sure that's a lot of people moving very quickly um and then the next version that's that uh improved was the p85d um which introduced the dual motor and so uh the dual motor both improve the range and also the uh, the total sort of power in the car um, by having uh, the same rear motor and now a front motor as well. So that brought it down to 3.1 seconds um, with insane mode. And uh, so 4.2 to 3.1, another very large, more than a second jump. Uh, so that was a pretty, pretty big one and, and introduced this concept of insane. Um, and coincidentally, that is also when they introduced uh, autopilot. So that sort of came together there. Um, you wouldn't think you'd want that adjective being uh, associated with at the same time as robotic control of your vehicle. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, those were two, those are the two things talked about at that event, which is sort of funny. It's a bold move, definitely. And uh, and then just about a year ago, of uh, July last year, there was actually a conference call as well. Uh, so very similar, and Tesla introduced the P90D. Ludicrous, and this is when Ludicrous came out. So about a year ago, Ludicrous was announced, and that took it from the 3.1 seconds zero to 60 down to 2.8 seconds. Um, so uh, and that you know, slowing down the curve um, and and only getting 0.3 seconds quicker. Yeah, uh, but 2.8, the 90 DL is definitely a pretty crazy vehicle. And so now, about a year later, um, we go to 2.5, so we get another 0.3 seconds. And uh, some of the improvements that have happened have been like basically improvements to the actual um, circuitry that draws amperage and power and electrons out of the battery and can send them into the uh, electric motor. Yeah, there must be an insane amount of current that flows when you're doing uh, the full ludicrous acceleration. Yeah, apparently uh, between 1,300 and 1,500 amps are wow. being drawn out uh, and through apparently uh, a connector about the size of your thumbnail. So an extreme amount of, uh, uh, of energy being um, moved through. And uh, even to the point where they talked about in the blog post of, of when they were building this, that um, the actual metal used in the connectors uh, was moved from steel uh, to a space age material, Inconel, um, which is a space grade <laughs> super alloy. And I researched it and uh, apparently it's mostly nickel, but it also contains chromium and iron and uh, found many references to it being used in SpaceX spacecraft. Um, so potentially a, a crossover uh, between the SpaceX team and the Tesla team. Well, so NASA's Apollo program gave us Velcro and Tang and apparently SpaceX is giving us uh, in, what was it called again? I've already forgot. Inconel. Inconel. Okay. It's apparently been used in other places. It's not Tesla. Uh, sorry, SpaceX didn't invent it, but it it does go to show that um, uh, Inconel is not used in traditional automotive use. It's mostly for for uh, uh, turbines um, and jet engines uh, and shielding um, in in uh, 
in spacecraft going through crazy temperatures. Uh, basically, it just heats up so much it, it actually can retain its shape and conductivity at really high temperatures. Nice. And does this come from the uh, ancient Inca? Apparently not. I think it uh, is uh, more about the nickel component. Gotcha. I think it's some Latin going on in there. Oh, geez. Oh, explicit tag. Oh, darn. <laughs> we'll have to put a little honking sound over that. Sorry about that, everyone. Um, so, yeah. So, so Tesla has uh, certainly been in a, a relentless march since the Model S was in, uh, introduced to uh, continue down the path of, of being quicker and quicker. Do we know, like, what is the, has anyone done the sort of physics math as to what the upper limit for the acceleration of a vehicle with the Model S's mass and, say, tire size? Like, what is the, the theoretical upper limit on how fast it can accelerate before it just spins its tires and, and basically burns tires instead of moves forward? So uh, I have actually, I actually did a lot of investigation into that very question. You didn't ask me that in advance, but I, I knew that was going to come up and <laughs> I wanted to understand it for myself. Um, it's what we want to know, right? How yeah, much I mean, faster can it go? How much faster, how much quicker can it go? Right. So on that point, I will get to the other point in a second. Uh, there were a lot of articles uh, talking about Tesla releases the fastest production car and get a fast electric car. And um, so to take a detour into pedantics uh, and, and grammar, <laughs> there were definitely a lot of automotive folks who were quite frustrated by uh, the confusion. And so just for everyone's uh, edification, and I'm sure most people listening uh, do know this already, but uh, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, uh, quick usually refers to something happening in a short time or shorter than expected. And fast refers to things that happen or go at a high speed. So in the automotive world, fast refers to a car's top speed, maximum velocity, and quick refers to the time it takes to get to that speed. So quick would be about acceleration and fast would be about top speed. So the Tesla is no faster than it was before, still capped at 155. It is just quicker. But English is a descriptive language, and if, if they can kill the, uh, the meaning of the word decimate, then we can kill the meaning of the word fast if we just keep using it that way. It would eventually transition, but Tesla was uh, careful to use quick in their blog post, so I will honor them and also use quick in talking about acceleration and okay. fast to talk about top speed. Quick it is. Quick, quickly. Okay, so... The physics behind acceleration. Uh, I will not uh, try and describe uh, formulas on the podcast since that will not work very well. Um, <laughs> but what I wanted to investigate were what other land-based vehicles achieve what acceleration, um, and then also to understand what are the human limits of uh, coping with acceleration, and then also what are the theoretical limits of acceleration. So first off, uh, starting with the last, theoretical limits of acceleration have to do with the uh, amount of uh, force that is being exerted on the vehicle uh, compared to the uh, friction that can be created. Essentially, um, when, a, when a wheel turns, the wheel isn't, isn't um, what's propelling it forward. It's friction uh, that is propelling it forward. And so... Friction between the, the tire and the, the ground that it's sitting on. Exactly. Okay. Um, and so 
if a wheel is on ice, there's very low friction. And so it doesn't matter how fast you turn the wheel, it won't uh, propel itself forward. There's not enough friction. So the real issue is the amount of friction that you can uh, have uh, between the tire and the road, um, which then power can be applied uh, through it and rotate faster. So without friction, uh, you cannot accelerate. And so uh, the big contributing factors here are the road surface and the tire surface and the contact between the two. And what really is important too is thinking about it at different points in time. So the amount of uh, friction at a dead stop uh, could potentially be different than if you're rolling a couple miles per hour or 10 miles per hour or whatnot. So a lot of times you'll see drag, drag racers try and uh, they'll heat up the tires to make them stickier. So they'll spin them and smoke them. And then also uh, you might spin off the line, uh, but you still end up going and then it doesn't spin as much. So once the car is actually in motion, um, there are more forces at work that actually keep the, the wheels sticky. So essentially uh, the limits there are around four or five G's are sort of what we, the sort of realistic limits are. And the best indication of that are uh, funny car racing. Uh, um, like the top fuel drag racers? Top fuel drag racers, yeah. So those can hit four G's uh, acceleration. And this is assuming just tire propulsion, right? Not something that might have a rocket or a jet engine on it? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So still land-based. So, you know, the theoretical limit would be speed of light, but that's not possible on, <laughs> on land. Yet. Yet. So uh, the quickest example I could find on land with tires was those uh, those funny car racers, which um, that that sort of acceleration is um, three seconds up to 400 miles per hour. So it's just kind of ridiculous. That's it? <laughs> it's super, super quick. And those, they have like extremely, so they're notable too, because they have very, very small, almost like bicycle tires in the front for, for the steering. And then enormous, enormous tires in the back, both Slicks, in like yeah. diameter and in width. Yeah, and super, super soft. To maximize like the contact area. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, and they're very soft and supple so that they can fill in the road gap and basically mesh uh, together as much as possible. Um, oh, sorry. Are they like almost melting as they go? Yeah. They're basic. They, they're good for one run. They're, they're designed for uh, <laughs> they're one self -gluing. run. They're self-gluing. They basically glue themselves to the ground as they melt. It's super sticky. I mean, the, the material science of it is actually pretty fascinating. And one of the, one of the big advances uh, in areas where the, where the advancement is coming from is from aer aerospace and um, zero G and, and also air, just general airplane um, traction mats. So like a lot of like they'll have rubber mats that just are so sticky. They're not actually sticky. They just have a lot of friction. So you can turn them at like a 45 degree angle and like glasses and other things will still stick and not fall off trays. So for flight attendants and stuff. Yeah, you posted the, the that article that had Singapore Airlines, I think, uses mm -hmm. trays that can hold a glass at like 45 degree angle. Yeah, exactly. So those have more than 1G frictional um, capability. Uh, and so anyways, those sorts of materials are going into tires. Tires are getting better and better. But so 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 that's one sort of limit would be the a 4g acceleration which would be uh what is that like 36 or so meters per second squared right. um and the current tesla is just over uh 9.8 it's just a little over 1g so potentially four times faster uh four times quicker acceleration oh so there's a lot of room to improve 
Yeah, but okay, <laughs> but I don't expect you'll get funny car, massive tires on a Tesla anytime soon. So then the next uh, realm lower, and also four Gs. So so then the other question was, okay, how much can a human withstand? And apparently, <laughs> at four Gs, uh, is an, is sufficient to induce blackout. This is assuming you're not wearing the compression pants that keep yeah. the blood up in the upper part of your body. Exactly. So I don't think many uh, Tesla drivers are going to be driving with those on. So what if they uh, had the Tesla logo on them? They might wear them if you plug them into like the cigarette lighter or something. Yeah. And they'll compress. Um, so four <laughs> to six G's will induce blackout. Um, fighter pilots can experience acceleration up to eight G's for brief periods, but not much more. Um, and, and then I was also curious, do you, um, did you look at the stats for the space shuttle? Did, no. Did I okay. How, how, what sort of G's do you think a space shuttle pulls, uh, oh, coming off the, the launch, launch pad and into space? So on, uh, when they're rocketing off of the launch pad? Yeah. All the way up through into space. I don't know. If, um, seven or eight, maybe. That's what I thought. I thought it was going to be like right at the human limits because every space movie I've ever seen makes it seem crazy. Right. It's only three G. So that's still a lot, but apparently they do that because a they don't want to put the the uh, astronauts in jeopardy of blacking out, yeah, and also they don't want to put extra stress on the space shuttle or on the rockets. Right, there is a lot of mass that they're accelerating directly in opposition to gravity. Yeah, and so they don't want it, they don't want the thing to rip apart, and also there's so much power that um, they they want to continue that constant acceleration into space. Um, so anyways, I just thought that was really, that was surprising. And yeah. people, um, almost all of our listeners will have experienced three or four Gs. And uh, you will have experienced that on a roller coaster. Oh. So roller coasters, uh, steel coasters can pull three or four Gs for brief periods in loops. So at the peak of a loop, you may have experienced uh, three or four Gs of, of uh, lateral uh, acceleration. Interesting. And so that feeling you get through a loop um, is potentially what the maximum you'd ever really be able to feel in a in a car. But obviously, those are fractional. It's interesting how the context matters too, because I, I feel I've been on a lot of roller coasters and they are quite exciting. But I'm kind of expecting it. Whereas when uh, I was in my friend's P ninety five D ninety P ninety D P ninety yeah. D, uh, and we were testing the the ludicrous mode on on Route one here in California, it was, <laughs> uh, it, it felt more shocking than than being on a roller coaster i I was actually worried that my dog was going to start vomiting um but i I guess it's probably the context whereas on a roller coaster you're expecting it and when you're just sitting at a stoplight you're not expecting it all of a sudden have your stomach crawl up into your mouth and the crazy thing is that's only about 1g the uh, acceleration of the current teslas so wow you you could potentially as a human withstand uh, four times that acceleration rate would they need to start equipping the model s with the uh over the head like harnesses that come down when when to like lock you into the seat like a roller coaster so unless they're trying to go upside down but they could go upside down in that case because they would have so much grip um oh please tell me this is this challenge will be accepted somewhere i hope someone does so so okay so the the boundaries are sort of four g's for humans to really not get really messed up space shuttles are three g's uh, and roller coasters are three G's. Okay. Uh, so let's go to formula one because formula one clearly are much longer races, potentially hours. And there are humans who withstand that 
through it and are accelerating and decelerating through turns. And so I think F1 is probably the next best car to anchor towards since they're somewhat standard looking where the funny cars are funny <laughs> for a reason. Well, I imagine the, the F1 has, has multi-axis acceleration too, where you're probably going to feel a lot of lateral forces, whereas the, the drag racing is just one single direction. Yeah. The lateral force on an F1 can get up to three or four, which is pretty crazy. So uh, the power to weight ratio on an F1 car is about um, nine point. Well, sorry, uh, just under one kilowatt per kilogram. So they have about twelve hundred fifty horsepower. That's it. Yeah, they're act- <laughs> but they're very light. Um, twelve hundred fifty horsepower. Um, so the theoretical uh, zero to sixty would be one second, less than one second. But they can't convert that much power uh, to motion at low speeds because of the loss of traction. So it's usually just around 1.7 seconds, uh, zero to 100 kilometers. So a little wow. bit faster than, quicker than zero to 60. Um, but 1.7 is current Formula One cars. And the acceleration in that is, wait for it, only 1.45 Gs, 14.2 meters per second squared. So it's not that much faster. It's not that much more uh it doesn't get anywhere close to the limitations of what humans can withstand and, and, you know, 40% quicker than a a current Tesla. So, so 1.7 seconds. So just keep that in our head. Okay. That's a formula one. Did you look into how much this compares to the motorcycle racing? I, I didn't have enough time to go into motorcycles, but that okay. was where some of the commenters on the physics uh, boards I was reading were talking to people about where to look for really quick acceleration of land vehicles that are attainable by mere mortals. Like most <laughs> people do not have the ability to try out a Formula One car. Many more people have the ability to get a motorcycle license and buy an extremely quick motorcycle. Um, and, and also you can imagine those motorcycles can get extremely f- quick acceleration and are on tires that are reasonable. Um, so yeah, uh, that would be the, the fat, the quickest way to try out quick acceleration would be a super, <laughs> super quick, uh, uh, motorcycle. Yeah. Okay. So then 1.7 seconds for F1 petrol. Just two months ago, a new world record was set by an electric car, uh, built by Swiss students engineers for uh, the record of acceleration by a battery powered vehicle and the, so it's called the grims mill grives mill car and it did it in 1.513 seconds so 1.5 seconds for zero to 100 kilometers uh, and it was about a quarter second faster than the previous record and in this vehicle they use four electric motors one in each wheel and they said that was the key difference between this and the previous world record Um, because each car has its own sophisticated traction control system, each wheel, sorry, not each car, each wheel, uh, to adjust the torque. Um, and, uh, so they can prevent slippage. Exactly. So that's one of the really big differences. Um, and one of the big challenges that Tesla actually will have the advantage in, um, because even the slower performing cars, Tesla's the zero to 30 is about the same. It's the difference between the 30 and the 60, um, because at the zero to 30, there are some limits to what the current uh, vehicles can do, even with dual motor. Um, and so that seems like an area where if you project forward, uh, two motors is great, uh, but four motors would potentially be 
better uh, for traction control as well as efficiency because then the motors can uh, operate at the correct power to, to um, torque right. band. Uh, sorry, power to efficiency band. Torque is the same. Does Tesla have any plans for getting into a sort of a quad motor setup? I haven't seen any direct quotes from Elon about that, but it does seem like the um, the next step would be yeah, quad. You can, the turning radius would get crazy on that too, because then you can have the wheels spinning in different directions and just spin you on a dime. You could, and and like the the traction would be ridiculous. And uh, also, when they introduced the model, the D, everything about the specs of the car improved. The uh, range improved. The acceleration improved. Uh, the uh, top speed acceleration improved, um, and obviously traction improved on snow. And so I think it's it. Once the battery costs continue to go down, uh, there'll be some more play essentially in the budget for more motors. You have to imagine that the the reliability would improve somewhat as well because you're you're eliminating mechanical components. The the sort of interchange that whether it's a differential or, or whatever the gearing they have is, um, it's going to be more of a yep. direct drive or almost direct drive, um, and yeah, just less less moving parts. Yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd introduce two new motors, but, but but the motors have a million mile guarantee on them already. So um, I don't think that would be the challenge. And then also you have more freedom to produce smaller motors, which are going to be a lot cheaper than larger motors because you can have, you know, 100, 200 horsepower motors instead of beefier ones in the that are... I imagine you would need less beefy interchanges too because you could then have each each motor draws its own power, so you don't necessarily need as huge of like connectors to push all that current through because you're going to essentially, instead of having two motors drawing an enormous amount of, of uh, current, you'll have four motors drawing half that. Yep, yep, exactly. So I think there's a lot of, uh, I think that is where it will go. Certainly if the current world record for a non-production car is four and it's electric and that was the big difference, if Tesla wants to continue doing this with standard tires and with just four wheels too, I mean, they they could move to six. Yeah. I don't think they'll go to six. So the two cars that have bested the, the current, uh, 100 D for reference are the Ferrari, La Ferrari, uh, which is an amazing name, not a typo. Nope. It is the real name, uh, zero to 60 in 2.4 seconds. And the other is the Porsche 918 spider, which did it in 2.2. So my, uh, my bet and hunch is that Tesla will uh, next beat uh, the Porsche 918 at the 2.2, so get another 0.3 second improvement. Um, and I would expect they would do that with both a battery pack improvement and also potentially going to the four-wheel drive uh, system on, an, uh, on the new version of the Model S at some point. And then I would expect that uh, they would stop when they get to F1 uh, acceleration of 1.7 seconds uh if they ever make it there due to auto like autopilot not yes. requiring people uh, man, caring you're about speed. You're, you're jumping right into my my next point my, my pushback on this where while it grabs nice headlines i think that not only is it does it become meaningless or or less meaningful as as the cars start driving themselves i would probably argue it's actually you don't want that because you if you're actually just sitting there working or doing whatever in your car you don't want it to all of a sudden subject you to three g's when you have no idea that's coming like you you want it to be as smooth as possible so you can just like you know go about living your life and not controlling the vehicle so it's almost the exact 
opposite of what you want as the car starts driving itself. Yes, I I agree. I think that there will be very few cars that are produced just as there are today that have that level of performance. I think that in I think there will still for it I don't know. I can't I don't know if I was about to say decades to come, <laughs> but maybe a decade. I do believe there will be people who still want to buy a performance vehicle. The same people who are buying them today and uh it is beneficial, the same reason that Honda has an F1 team, uh, to have it be sort of the beacon for performance as well as uh, technology improvements. And I think that sort of gets to this bigger point of why do you push the boundaries of, of acceleration and top speed and battery performance to invent new technology, which then allows you to make breakthroughs at different product and product categories and different price points. And Tesla did that again with the P100DL that, that was just announced, and they did it on battery pack uh, design. And um, I think that's sort of the next big thing to talk about is we've now talked about acceleration, but now we can talk about battery. Yeah, that was a good segue. Let's, so let's, let's talk about the battery. So what is it about their battery that, that enables them to, to go to P100D? So the big difference is that... Uh, the pack uh, size, so the actual structure that holds all the battery cells together, is the same size as the 90. Oh, so they didn't just add more, like an extra 10% of the battery, like into the frunk or something. Exactly. Okay. It is the same physical size, even to the point where if you have a 90D, you can have yours switched out for 100 uh, for $20,000. Oh, really? Or Yeah, or if you have one on order and hasn't gone into production yet, you can call Tesla and say, hey, I want to upgrade, and you'll pay $10,000, and you'll get the 100DL instead of the 90. So same physical dimensions. Um, so that tells you that uh, they had to cram more energy density into the same physical space. So an optimization problem. And the other constraint that they told us on the conference call was that the actual cells, The imagine those AA battery type things inside of the pack, the chemistry of those did not change. The same cells that are in the 85Ds and 90s and 70s that are shipping, those are in the 100 pack. So we now know that there are two constraints that have occurred. There is the physical pack size is exactly the same and the cell is the same. So that tells us the only thing that, that changed was the actual uh, makeup of the cells inside, which created more space for more cells. And so they did this through improvements to the cooling and pack structure design. And this is what's laying the groundwork. And actually now the JB Straubel came out on the conference call, the CTO, and said, this is our battery pack uh, version three, third generation. So Roadster was gen one. Uh, the Model S was Gen 2, and now the 100D is getting Gen 3, which is actually on the same trajectory that was being designed for Model 3. Um, but they're actually now sort of forward deploying it into the Model S to validate it and test it. Um, and so they've come up with a new cooling system, essentially. So is this new, so this is the the sort of precursor or the sort of Gen 1 or first version, I should say, of, of what's going to be the battery pack in the Model 3. Is it being produced in their, in the new Gigafactory in Nevada? No. So, so that's, it, it's one half of what's going to be in the new Model 3. So 
think of this as sort of the structural components and the uh, electrical mechanical engineering challenge. And then the cells are the chemistry problem. So uh. the Gigafactory is going to be dealing with primarily the cells and new cells. So they're going to be those bigger uh, cells and new chemistry. So that will get a boost of energy density in the cell design. And then this is sort of how do you arrange all of those cells in the most efficient and safe and cool cooling capable way. Um, so yeah, so that's the difference. The architecture of this of the modules and packs changed to get adequate cooling, and it eventually allowed them to put more cells and pack it more densely than they could previously. So there's actually more cells inside of it, um, but uh, not any more physical space. What did Elon say? He said it was uh, 11 pounds in a 10 pound bag. Yeah, exactly. So it's basically uh, what he was saying is sort of it's at the theoretical limit of what they believe they could pack in and still cool the batteries at uh, a safe level um, since that's that's a really important piece is that the batteries uh, heat up um, when they're being charged and when they're being used and if they heat up too much they could explode and cause a fire and so they need to be cooled and the temperature needs to be regulated and so there's cooling in between the cells and in between the packs or in between the modules rather and that system is something that Tesla is designing and has patents around and they've released some patents, but they haven't released patents on this new design yet. Um, and, and that's where most of this work has gone to m remove parts from that, create more space while still meeting the characteristics they need to make sure it's safe. Yeah, I thought the, the whole cooling aspect was really interesting because uh, one of the knocks on the internal combustion engine is that it generates so much wasted energy in the form of heat. Um, I, I guess in, in cold climates in the wintertime, it's not technically entirely wasted because that's what helps you heat up the cabin of your vehicle. Uh, but on an electric car, I, I kind of always assumed that there was not this like waste energy that was happening because it was mm -hmm. batteries storing the electricity. The, the electricity goes directly to the motor and that p propels you down the road. But apparently there is a lot of wasted energy or waste energy being generated in the form of this heat that needs to be somehow dissipated. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't characterize it as a lot. Um, certainly not nearly as much as a as an electric or um, internal combustion engine. But there definitely is heat, um, and enough to actually be a a problem. Where if you're not removing it, the, it's going to create some sort of catastrophe. Yes. Yes. Uh, and p very much uh, because of the mm, chemical fire potential, <laughs> uh, less than a. Uh, heating up the metal to the point of exploding or gotcha mm, but but yeah it definitely is a uh, a thing and it, and it also is about keeping it in the ideal temperature range um oh so it's an efficiency thing yeah yeah engines can operate at a much higher temperature and still not need too much cooling where the batteries don't really want to be much more above room temperature um and also they need to be heated if they're too cold. So there's also heating oh, to right. get them up to the more room temperature in cold climates. And that's why cold climate drivers have a lot lower range because there's so much more, um, it's a lot harder to get them to the right uh, temperature and uses more energy to keep them at that temperature. Interesting. Uh, so, so what is Tesla doing? Like how do they deal with that, that excess heat that they need to get moved around? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's it's being used in just heat sinks outside the pack, um, and they've got a coolant that basically, like high-end PCs and a lot of other systems, there's a um, 
it's not water, but it's a it's a water cooling system, like an antifreeze type thing that, that gets yeah. pumped around. Yeah, yeah, closed loop antifreeze that moves between the cells. And uh, they didn't describe the precise details of the new pack, but it's believed that there's now a heat sink underneath the cells that's going to be pulling away heat as well. Um, and before it was sort of a uh, a thin film in between all the cells. So does, when you say under the cells, does that mean it's at the the bottom of the vehicle where the air is is going by? Well, actually, in in between each like module, which then gets encased in a plastic thing, oh, okay. and then gets slotted in, each of those would have sort of a a bottom uh, shelf that they're sitting on that's made of uh, inc- conductive metal to pull heat out. Okay, um, just to basically remove more of the in between. I think they can reduce an amount of in between, but I'm sure people will tear apart the batter the packs. But I think the the big point is like. They went from a 90 kilowatt pack uh, to 100, which is an 11% increase uh, in energy density. Uh, but the weight only went up by 4%. Oh, interesting. So uh, they pulled out more weight than they added. Um, and so I think that's a really great sign of, you know, clearly to Elon's point about 11 pounds in a 10 pound sack. <laughs> um, definitely reaching the limits of what they can what they can do there but when they add in the higher density uh, cells the better chemistry you might be able to expect another 20 or 30 percent improvement potentially uh so you might get up to 120 125 in that same space uh at at the same cost so there's definitely a lot more headroom um in that same size for the Model S. Now the Model 3 will have a smaller pack, we expect. So you wouldn't necessarily be able to fit this pack into the Model 3. Um, That's why the Model 3 needs the new cells as well, um, to be able to get uh, a smaller pack with the same density, uh, sorry, the same sort of um, kilowatt per hour uh, pack size. So Model 3 is definitely going to benefit from this. And it's great to see that validating the technology. And it's really difficult to make, they said. They're only going to be able to make 200 of these a week. So about 10% of their capacity will be for these really high-end 100 kilowatt hour packs. Was there anything else that, uh, that interested you in, in this announcement? I think that, uh, I mean, they, they hinted that the model, uh, the, the new version of the firmware, the 8.0 would be coming soon, which will have more autopilot and probably the refreshed UI, uh, the flat UI. So we might want to talk about that when that comes out and UI in general. They're getting their iOS 7 refresh. Yeah, a few years later. Um, but yeah, I think that it just goes to show that electric vehicles are technologically a better path for uh, for ground-based transportation. And Elon Musk has been talking about this for years, and many people have doubted that electric cars really are um, a better solution. I think many people saw them purely as a ecologically uh, more interesting solution, but uh, trade-offs in performance. And, you know, I think the, the concept of a gearhead or someone who is, uh, you know, manipulating internal combustion engines and cars to get the most performance out of them it's pretty rough when you could roll in in your family sedan and beat every single person at the track (laughs) Uh, so i think that it's definitely a strong signal that the the curve you'd prefer to be on uh, would be the electric vehicle curve uh, if you want to see continued improvement in acceleration uh, and sort of range uh, I think 
I would be betting on electric cars. So I think that's an important milestone to show that it's not hitting a wall metaphorically in terms of its advancement, that it's continuing to advance and advancing at a pretty consistent rate. And so uh, I think next year we would see a similar improvement to the Model S, um, another 10% improvement in range, another 10% improvement in acceleration. And uh, that very similar to what we've seen in microchips, uh, microprocessors with Moore's Law, it's not nearly as um, uh, as much of an improvement each year, much more like 8 to 10%, but it's still an improvement nonetheless. And, um, and I think that's the more important story here. Uh, and basically is an indicator that the Model 3, as exciting as that is, starting at $35,000 and 200 so miles of range and under six second acceleration will be the new platform where these same things we've seen happen on the Model S will eventually come to them, uh, barring the automation and self-driving component. Uh, right. Will, will it matter by then? Yeah, but technically they would be possible. And so I think that's really incredible that in a few years, you could imagine having a $35,000 car that could go zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds. You're not going to see that in an internal combustion engine car. And the uh, tragedy will be that it won't matter. And it won't matter, but uh, it'll still be bragging rights. So I, I think that's just sort of the, it's sort of the, um, the abundance of, of uh, hard drive space and, and compute power. It just opens up new possibilities. Um, I'm not sure the same thing will happen with ground-based transportation with cars. And I don't think we'll be accelerating so quickly and that will open up new business models the same way it does in silicon. So I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that uh, there's going to be a lot of headroom there. And that headroom can be used for price reductions um, and for range improvements um, more so than peak performance. Because that's always the trade-off in silicon as well is you can either double the double the performance or have the cost. And uh, having the cost tends to have a bigger impact uh, societally. So I think uh, the more important piece is that you'll be able to have the cost of these cars uh, you know, uh, metaphorically instead of improving the performance and the model S shows what the top end is, but that'll all trickle down and reduce the cost. So that's what I think is most important. What about you? Exciting times ahead. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting that as you just kind of touched on this, that, uh, there's, there's been a lot of publicity around the quickness of the vehicle and the range of the vehicle, but not much mentioned that they're kind of a little bit in opposition where if you're, mm. if you're tending to explode off the line at every single red light or stopped opportunity, then you're not going to have that extended range. And whereas if you're milking it for maximum range, then you're not going to have the ludicrous acceleration. Um, and I, maybe it's just kind of implied that there is a tension there and you're, you're doing a trade off. But, uh, yeah, for, for me, I think the the most interesting part is the extended range. Um, mostly cause as, as, um, I've mentioned in probably every single episode, I think that the autopilot and the autonomous driving is the most important and most interesting feature of, of these vehicles. And that the, uh, the acceleration and performance is really just sort of, uh, oh, sort of a wolf in sheep's clothing in a way. Uh, whereas mm. the, the wolf being the autonomous driving and the, the sheep's clothing being the performance and sort of the old, the old model of what a car is or what a performance vehicle is. Um, and, but I think like what, what really matters is this, the, the sort of auto drive, the auto driving miles matter a lot more than the acceleration and performance. But if the acceleration and performance get people to drive more and get more autopilot miles in there, then that's great. Yeah. I think that a couple things that just sprung the mind. One, uh, 
if you want to have a super performance car, you usually do not have the option of it being uh, having good range. So uh, right. it's the, usually the fir- usually like any sort of performance is is sort of directly in opposition to any sort of luxury. Like uh, performance vehicles don't even have automatic door locks, or they'll have, they'll be stripped down completely bare. Exactly. And and they're extremely unreliable. I mean, I think most people's Ferraris are in the shop more than they're in their garage if they're driving them. So that's why I don't have one. Yeah, exactly. And the Ferrari has like 12 city and 16 highway uh, for gas. So if you do want to have one of those cars, you don't have the ability to take it on a road trip and you wouldn't because it's super rough. So I do think there's something very intriguing about having both in the same package and being able to have this, this unattainable thing where you have this incredible luxury car, well, very nice luxury car. It's not incredible yet, but very nice luxury car with the ability to smoke a Ferrari is pretty (laughs) crazy. And then I think the other thing is you don't have to go zero to 60, but accelerating on a pass uh, on the highway is just going to be effortless and going on the on-ramp is effortless. Um, And that having that quickness to, um, to use doesn't mean you're going to go zero to 60 all the time, but uh, it, it does mean that essentially wherever you want to put the car, it will be there um, at your will and there's no lag. And I think that's a very subtle thing about driving a Model X or Model S is that even if you're not flooring it all the time, its ability to react to what you want is very satisfying and I think also extremely important for autopilot type features because the computer is going to have a model of where the car should be and its ability to ensure that the car is actually where it should be quickly uh, is important. And so being able to evade um, or accelerate past something, uh, making sure that there's no lag or uh, lack of capability there it is important, even if it's not going to be flooring it off of a stoplight just because it can. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's uh, that about covers uh, the 100D. But if anyone has any other feedback, where can they let us know, Mike? Yeah, you can hit us up on Twitter at the Tesla Show or on our subreddit at r slash the Tesla Show or our website theteslashow.com. It's a lot of Tesla shows all over the place. We're very consistent. And uh, with that, we'll be back in a week with a new new episode. Yeah. All right. All right. Talk to you later, later. Mike. (laughs) All right. Bye.